0: Hey church, so glad you're joining us for Church at Home. And if you've been with us the past few weeks, then you know that we have been studying the Holy Spirit in the scriptures. We started in the Old Testament looking at that creative energy that breathes things into life. And then we looked at how the Holy Spirit empowers us and how it anoints us We also looked at how the Spirit brings about renewal and a a new recreation or new creation to the messes that we as humanity make. And so these three rhythms that we see, creating, empowering, new creation, it's the same activity that continues into the New Testament, specifically in the life of Jesus. And so that's what we're gonna focus on today. So would you bow your heads and pray with me? God, we ask you that as we study your scriptures, as we study about your spirit, God, that it would reveal things to our hearts, that it would enter into our minds, that it would be changed and transformed by it. In Jesus' name, amen. So here we have in Matthew, it's telling us about Mary. And we see that she is about to be married, it says she's betrothed to Joseph, and that she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now, if we look in the text of Luke, we see that Mary's first question is, how can this be, right? We know that's not how it works when you're going to have a, a child and you should be married, all that kind of stuff, right? And so Mary says, how can this be? And this is the angel's response to her in Luke 1, chap- Luke chapter 1, verse 35. The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. So here we have the very origin of Jesus himself is only by the Holy Spirit. And so the author is specifically wanting us to remember back to Genesis, that same creative spirit is the very one that is now breathing life, the life of Jesus himself into Mary. So the Greek word for spirit is pneuma, and it means wind, breath, to blow. It's the same word that we talked about in the Old Testament, the ruah of God. And so we know that God's spirit in Genesis, right? We saw the language, it hovers, and it created life out of that dark, uninhabitable chaos and mess. And so now we see that God's spirit also is hovering, and it is creating life out of something that was empty, a barren womb. And so we see that it is by the Spirit that life is created, life in Genesis, and now the life of Jesus in Mary. The Spirit plays another key role in the life of Jesus, in Jesus's baptism. I'm sure you're familiar with this story. We've got John the Baptist. He's by the Jordan River, and he's starting this renewal moment for Israel, saying, hey, you need to repent and be baptized. But when Jesus shows up, he's like, hey, this is the guide. this is the leader, he, he's, he's who we're following, okay? And so we jump into Luke, if you'll turn over. So we're in chapter one, let's go over to chapter three, and we're in verse 21. It says, now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven saying, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased." So here we have again, the spirit showing up in Jesus's life. And when we look at that language, it descended on him in bodily form like a bird. One might wonder, okay, Why is it being compared to a bird? Why is that the imagery the author is using? And yet it's not the first time again we've seen the Holy Spirit described in such a way. Genesis 1 and 2, we just talked about it. The Spirit hovering, I'll read it to you. It says, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. I can't tell you how many times I've read that verse and never made that connection, that hovering is a descriptive term associated with bird-like activity. So the authors here in the Gospels, they are specifically wanting to connect you with that same creative spirit found in Genesis, recalling the language of God's ruah, hovering in the creation narrative. This is the same thing that we see here in the life of Jesus, why? Because Jesus is the fulfillment and the embodiment of what God began long, long ago in the creation narrative. And so this language of spirit, sometimes Holy Spirit, Spirit of God, Spirit of Jesus, All of these are talking about the personal presence of God. So this specific passage right here, this is where we would get our framework for seeing God in three distinct forms. We've got Jesus the Son, then we've got the voice of God the Father, and then we've got this dove-like embodiment of God's personal presence, the Holy Spirit. And that word holy means sacred. It means set apart, one of a kind. And so when we look at holiness as being who God is, God's distinction, it's that descriptive term that is showing us that God, creator, author of life, is the Holy Spirit that we see at work. Then we go on and we continue to see that the Holy Spirit is in Jesus' life to empower him. The same moment in Luke three, after Jesus is baptized, is when his ministry is formally begun. So we have the Holy Spirit descending, and now Jesus is appointed to do his kingdom mission, what God sent him here to do. And He's led by the Holy Spirit, and he is empowered by the Holy Spirit. So let's continue in Luke chapter four. It says, sorry, I know we're jumping around a little bit. But Luke chapter four, it says in Jesus, verse one, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, where he was just baptized, I am led by the Spirit into the wilderness. I love just the nuances of language that when we study the scriptures, that they're meant to, to bring out, they're meant for us to think of and ponder on and for us to recall. So even that choice of word full, full of the Holy Spirit, it's this water metaphor that we're supposed to be thinking of like a vessel or a container being completely filled up. This is the imagery that we're supposed to be taking through because it's, it's wanting us to understand this idea that Jesus was completely filled up with the Holy Spirit. He was permeated with it, soaked with this. This is kind of this water imagery that we see here. And it's important because Jesus is our prime example of how the Holy Spirit should function in our lives. He's filled up with the Holy Spirit. And we know the story, right? He goes out into the wilderness and he's able to withstand multiple temptations, right? And it's through this power of the Holy Spirit that he stays on mission for God's purposes, not his own. Remember later on, he's going to pray, not my will, but your will. So we've got that creative work of that we see in Jesus's origins. Now we've got that empowerment of the Holy Spirit in Jesus's life. And I think it's just, it's worth noting here that it is the divinity of Jesus that saves us, but it is his humanity that we follow. I'll say it again, it is the divinity of Jesus that saves us, no doubt about it. But it is his humanity that we follow. That's the example. We see how he did it so that we too can follow. He was a human like us, showing that we can be fully dependent upon the Holy Spirit to lead and to guide us. And so we know that, yes, that does lead him to the cross and to resurrection, but it doesn't end there because resurrection is what happens next. It's naturally connected to the Spirit. It is that new creation that we see played out in the Old Testament. Now we have it kind of as the culmination of the life of Jesus, this new creation. Paul talks about it this way in Romans, that uh, Jesus being born of the line of David, declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. So yes, he he is in the tomb, he's dead, Actually, no life within him. But the Holy Spirit comes in and breathes life onto his bones, recomposes everything, and he walks out a new creation. Another way is in 1 Corinthians, it says, it is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. So Jesus is still human, the resurrected Jesus. He's still talking and walking and eating foods and hanging out with his disciples, and yet there's something fundamentally different about who he is now. He's transformed in such a way that the only language that seems adequate is that he is a new creation. So once again, Jesus is a tangible form of what God desires to do in us, in our lives. That just as God created through his spirit for future purposes to restore all things through the spirit, he wants to do the same thing in us. So what happens next? We see the Great Commission. Let's turn to John chapter 20. I actually don't have it saved here, so I'll just go off the screen. It says, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them. He breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Once again, it's that same phrasing from Genesis 2 when God breathed onto a pile of dirt. He is commissioning them, sending them to do the work of God the Father, same as he was sent to do. And Jesus has already modeled now the example of how do you do that? It's a life empowered by the Spirit. And he's telling his disciples then to receive the Spirit so they can do the same thing. So we look at those those rhythms of creation, empowerment, new creation, and that's what we see in Jesus's life. We've got that creative work of the Spirit originally from the very, very beginning inside the womb. Then we've got that empowerment of when the Holy Spirit descends on him. And then we've got that new creation when he is resurrected. And so for us, we are meant to continue that work. That's what we see here. It's not just to end with the disciples, but it is also for us that we too are meant to receive the Holy Spirit. And so there's two things that I kind of want us to focus on when we look at the totality of Jesus and the work of the Spirit and how it applies to our lives. I would say that a Spirit-filled life is one that pursues holiness. So the first takeaway is that a spirit-filled life is one that pursues holiness. When we go back to Genesis again, I know I keep, I keep going back there, but these passages are just so tied together. What did God do? He made us to image himself. That when we existed in the world, that we would do so in such a way that anybody who observed us would naturally be able to imagine who God is. And so then if God is holy, which we already have established, God is holy. He is like no one else. And if we are supposed to image him, then shouldn't our life be in pursuit of holiness? Shouldn't we fight against the flesh? Shouldn't we not just resign to say, oh, well, I'm human and you know it is what it is? No, we should actually be trying to pursue this life that looks like Jesus, not because we're trying to pursue perfection, but because it is who God has called us to be. We're often too willing to give up the real thing for something counterfeit because it's quicker, it's easier. We just wanna look good on the outside, right? But that's when we get trapped into leaning on our own understanding, not believing or trusting God's word. One of my favorite um, preachers, Jackie Hill Perry, She writes this when talking about holiness. She says, the serpent still incentivizes unbelief by promising it will make us like God. But our motive has never been to be like God in terms of righteousness, but of rights. Mm, I'm just gonna let that sit there for a minute. Our motive has never been to be like God in terms of righteousness, but of rights. She says, we lust after ultimate authority. It's not until the law, Put before us that in its mirror, we see that we haven't become like God at all. We have only imaged Satan. She continues saying that the law magnifies our darkness because its giver is light. It reveals our impurities because its giver is pure. Now, that's a very sobering truth, but haven't we all been in that same moment, headspace, where? Yeah, we want to be like God. We want to be in control of it all. We want to look good. But are we willing to make the sacrifice to be holy and righteous like him, to truly image him? That's what we're called to do. That's what we're supposed to do. But Satan, he always, he he just comes in with those statements that can get us off course. And when we ask the question, well, what does holiness look like? Like, how can I do that? How does it even work in real life? We've got the example. That's why we look at Jesus' life. That's why you can spend hours upon hours and years upon years and still be studying who Jesus is and how he lived because he is the word made flesh. He's that example, that tangible, physical, visible form that says, hey, this is how you do it in human form. This is how it looks like. To study God's word, to know God's word, to be empowered by the spirit, to be led by the spirit. This is language that we constantly see Paul using about Jesus, that he's led by the spirit, speaks for the spirit, full of the spirit, right? So let's go back to that Jesus in the wilderness, right? So we've got Jesus full of the Holy Spirit. He goes into the wilderness. He's there for 40 days. The Bible says he's hungry, literally says he's hungry. And so the first temptation that we see from the enemy is he says to him, he says, if you are the son of God, then make yourself something to eat. If you are the son of God. There's no if. The Holy Spirit literally just declared it. He said, you are my son in whom I'm well pleased. And fast forward, that's the exact phrasing that now the enemy is trying to, to twist to get you to question. Is that what God said? What do we see with Adam and Eve, right? That's the exact thing that he tries to get them to do, to question, is what God said, like if you're really supposed to be like God, if you're really to image him, did he really say not to eat of this fruit? The enemy's tool has not changed, friends. It is the same thing. He is always about getting us to question if God's word really said this. Did God really say, that you know, do I really need to read my Bible? Do I really need to pray? Did God really make this promise to me? He wants you to question it just long enough so that then just like that quote I told you, we can now trick ourselves into thinking that, oh, we can be like God. We should be like God because we deserve it as opposed to following Jesus' example of living a righteous life. But Jesus being who he is, full of the spirit, knowing God's word. He quotes back to the enemy from Deuteronomy saying, he's like the son of man does not live by bread alone, but by the spirit of God. Why? Because he knew that to make himself something to eat, which was of course within his power. He'd done it before, right? We've got examples where in the Old Testament, God makes food out of nowhere. So we know he can, he knows he can but he knew that to listen to the enemy would have been to distrust God's ability to sustain him, the Holy Spirit's ability to sustain him. It would have been to go against what God's word had already told him. Remember, Galatians five sixteen tells us, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Here, Jesus is leaving that out He's probably starving. I can't even imagine. I've never done a fast anywhere near that. And so to be put in a position where now you have the availability and you still could have said, well, I don't need to listen to you, but he still could have served himself. And yet he doesn't because he relies more on the spirit and God's word than anything else that's going around him. And so Jesus chose not to utilize his powers to serve himself because sin at its core, it's selfish, right? What did we just see? That if we're trying to bypass what it looks like to ha- to be like God, just to have the rights, the authority, then it's actually selfish. But holiness at its core is self-giving. When we see the miracles of Jesus, of water into wine, multiplying the five loaves and the two fish, Jesus is always offering provision for others instead of himself. It's always about others. His mission was for others, and the Spirit empowered him to stay on mission. So the second takeaway for today is that a Spirit-filled life stays on mission. So many of us, we get so confused, so stressed over, what is our purpose? Why am I here? What am I doing? And at the very core of it, it's the same for each and every one of us. If you call yourself a Christian, if you say, I am living my life for Jesus, I follow Jesus, it's the same. We are to be witnesses, to participate in the great commission. That purpose doesn't change, friends. It was what he said to his disciples. It is what God is calling us to do, to be a part of, still here today. And so how that gets played out might look different. Our vocations might look different. Our giftings might look different. But Jesus is sending us the same, just like when he breathed on his disciples and he said, Receive my spirit. That is the same thing for us. So if we would say, Yes, I'm a follower of Christ. And yes, I've been baptized and, and reborn of the spirit, passed through the waters of baptism. Then your purpose, your mission, your design is to now make disciples, both near and beyond. So we have to be asking ourselves then, are we involved in that? Am I participating in that? And what God has designed and wired me to do? Who are we discipling? Ask, make it personal, who am I discipling? What's their name? Can you think of that person? Because I promise you, whether you realize it or not, you are influencing and leading people around you. So who or where are you leading them to? Let's be intentional about leading them. To Jesus. And I most firmly am convinced that it should begin with those closest to you. So if you are a parent, those are your disciples. I don't care what age they are. Maybe, you know, you weren't saved before you started having kids or whatever. It doesn't matter where on the journey, but those children. You should be making into disciples. You should be showing what it looks like to follow God. You should be modeling as best you can. Hey, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. Don't follow after me, but let me help you follow after Jesus. And if you are have family members that maybe they've yet to enter into a relationship with Jesus, just tell them about who Jesus is to you. Tell them about God's work in your life, your coworkers, what Whomever God has brought to you, those are people that you can be making into disciples. Now we don't need to get stressed. Uh, we are not in the job of saving people. So that's not what we have to do. Our job is to simply to share our testimony. God's spirit and his power will do the rest. All we need to do is to be faithful witnesses, sharing who God is and who he's been in our life. So if, if maybe for you, that sounds a little scary, right? You're like, oh gosh, I don't know. I don't wanna miss God. I don't wanna say the wrong thing. I don't wanna do the wrong thing. Like When we talk about holiness, I think sometimes it, it can sound noble, but it can almost paralyze us, get us to stop in our tracks. And so I think even that is where the enemy can kind of confuse us because he wants nothing more than to silence us, to get us to not be active. And so if he can use that, even the desire to please God and the fear that we might make we might miss it, he'll use that. But let me encourage you, if God has called us to lead and if God is leading us, he's 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 going to help us along the way. We don't have to aim for perfection, okay? Lisa Bevere says it this way. She says that Jesus, the good shepherd, is not a trickster. He would not call us to follow him if he didn't plan on leading well. So sometimes when I've questioned like, okay, where's the activity of the spirit in my life? and 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 And, you know, you just kind of can get in your mind so much. And thinking it's got to be these big moments, right? I think sometimes we feel like it has to be these all or nothing moments. But if I kind of pull back the lens and I look, I see the activity of the Spirit all woven in through all those small, ordinary daily moments of my life. And the same is true for each and every one of us. Yes, the Holy Spirit is in those big moments, right? Sometimes it's the big move or it's the big job or, or different things like that but it's also in just our daily interactions. That's where we can be spirit-led. It doesn't have to be big, it doesn't have to be fancy. It can be as simple as somebody comes to mind and you send them a text. Hey, I was thinking about you, praying for you. you never know what conversation that might strike up that somebody needed, that reminder of, hey, I'm on somebody's mind. God brought me to somebody's mind. It can be as simple as when your kids are trying to extend that bedtime, a lot of the times, it's like, no, it's bedtime. I don't care if it's summertime, right? But there are going to be certain times where we have to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Like, okay, something going on here is—is—is is, is, is this a prime opportunity for me to talk with my child about something that may be going on deep down under them? We have to be sensitive to perhaps if there's something maybe you've talked about already, and now you're trying to get behind the feelings of the why you're why you're feeling this way. And I promise you those moments of, of being available to people, you know, whether it's just you see that coworker and you just stop for a minute to give him an encouraging word, they're not going to have like a flashing neon sign. This says, hey, this is the Holy Spirit. This is what you should do. They're just these little prompting, these, these little thoughts that if you would just be faithful in those, the Bible promises that if they're faithful in little, then we will be faithful in much. And so... Remember, God's with us, so even if we if we miss it, right? It's okay, it's not the end of the world. It doesn't mean that God's Spirit has left us. God is not expecting perfection. He knows humanity all too well. Well, what He is offering is that we can find truth and strength when we rely on Him. So my prayer for you is that you would receive the words that we read at the Holy Spirit, the words that we see spoken over Jesus, this is my son in whom I I am well pleased, that you would come to believe them about yourself. Because I truly believe that it all starts there. That if we would recognize that we are God's child, we are God's beloved, that then we are not going to be paralyzed with that fear. We're gonna be able to be able to follow him. And it doesn't mean things are gonna be perfect. It doesn't mean things are gonna be easy. It doesn't mean things are always going to Go as expected, but it's from that place that we can stay on mission. It's from that posture of the heart that we are able to want to pursue a life of holiness. And so it's from this place that once we know who we are, that we can now know why we're here, what we're called to do. Because ultimately, friends, we're looking at the Holy Spirit. We're looking at the life of Jesus because this is whom we should pattern our life after. A life that was marked by a complete dependence and reliance on God's Word and God's Holy Spirit. You'll hear us say this a lot, that the Word and the Spirit are enough. And so if they were enough for Jesus, then surely they are enough for each and every one of us. So church, today I pray that you would recognize the power of God's Word in your life. I pray that you would also recognize that the need for the spirit of God is as great a need as our very breath that sustains us from moment to moment. And friends, I pray that you would also recognize that God's spirit is as close as our next breath. Church, I pray that you have a wonderful week and we can't wait to see you. Have a great one.